0: This is episode number 63.
1: Exactly. And to be honest, in conference, one part is presentation or whatever. But the most important part is discussion afterwards with the people being around there. To connect with people you simply didn't know before. And this, I think, this cannot be replaced by, by online meetings.
0: Yeah, but I think as it will... Would...
1: As soon as you have a project... As soon as you have some sort of agenda, it's fine to go online. You do not need to travel through wherever to go. But at the very beginning, to get into contacts, it can be replaced, from my opinion.
0: Part four of the year in review recording. One hour of... Breathtaking conversations with speakers from previous podcast episodes and business partners of the hosts. What was hot in 2021 and what do our speakers expect for 2022? As a start into 2022, I will bring the recording live in seven separate episodes. Here is the fourth part with conversations with Peter Lebelin-Davis from Biotech Austria and Albert Mispichler, an Austrian business angel. And of course, Astrid Wollert and Matthias Tarasiewicz. We were talking about biotech in Austria, culture of success, business angels, investments and the market perspective and customer needs and entrepreneurship. I hope you enjoy the conversation the same way as I did. Enjoy the show. It's uh, Peter Lovellin Davis, and he is president of Biotech Austria and I'm curious to hear how the year was for his organization and himself. Welcome to the show Peter it's good to see you again. Thank you very much Christian also
2: for the intro. Um, yes it's been a, a very upheaving year, it's very unusual to be in a position where you've had all the ups and downs that normally you wouldn't expect. But Mm -hmm. uh, biotech is is indeed a thrilling business. And as you probably heard from from Johannes and and his colleagues and and everybody else, uh, it's probably at the moment one of the most exciting topics to be talking about. So thank you very much for the invitation.
0: It's good to have you here. It's, it was amazing to hear from Johannes and Philippe, uh how great the life science industry evolved in Vienna over the last two decades. I mean, when I think back myself, when I started in, uh, in the industry in 2006, uh, let's put it bluntly and exaggerate a little bit, a handful of companies existed here. And uh, I learned from Johannes that uh, we had an exponential growth since then. How do you see... Um, 2021 for life science entrepreneurs?
2: Well, when I came to Austria in 2017, it was quite interesting, really. I had only really heard of Austrian biotech in respect of Intercell, uh, Valneva now, and and a few others. And I didn't really see it as a Viennese type of entity. It was an Austrian-wide, and I've been to a, a biotech event in Innsbruck. And what amazed me at the time when I came was the strength of the science, i.e., the, the the institutes and the universities and and the students, the amount of students actually coming out of university and looking for challenges. And then I realised that a lot of them went abroad. And I thought to myself, why are they going abroad? I mean, there's so much in this country. It's not just the nicest place to live, but you know, you have a strong infrastructure. You've got uh, you've got you know you've got <laughs> You've got the, the, the scenery, you've got the schnitzels, um, and you've got everything wonderful here in the wine. And then, uh, 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 and then I realised, oh, dear, what's not going right here? Because it could be a really strong country for biotech. So and, and things have improved since then. We've had five exits this year alone, um, you know, Oregon, Fargomed, uh, all sites, just to name, and Timus, just to name four of them. But, uh, it's, it's been an amazing year and it's going to continue this way. I believe it.
0: Yeah. I'm just smiling because, uh, the term exit, uh, in my opinion, didn't exist, uh, 20 years ago. So, um, there was not much going on. And when I look, when I open now in the internet, uh, it feels like on a daily basis, we get some success stories here from Austria. Uh, Peter, you started Biotech Austria a year ago. Almost a year ago, so it's uh, also an anniversary for Biotech Austria. If you remember it right, how was the first year for your team?
2: <laughs> well, well, thank you very much. Because uh, when Johannes and myself and 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 a few of the biotech entrepreneurs sat down in 2020, we said, we you know, is this an idea we should follow? Should we set up an industry association just for biotech? Uh, because you know, these are industry associations exist in 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 the US, in the UK, in France, in Germany. And in in Switzerland, a very, very successful biotech industry. And and we said, let's do it. Yeah, let's get this industry associated started. So 30 of us started last year, and now we're 60 a year later. So if we double every year, well, I think there are only about 200 companies in in Austria at the moment. But So the goal is to increase the amount of companies as well. (laughs) An amazing year, um, quite simply, because our goal is to not just support our members but also to make people more aware of biotech in general and i'm not just talking about the red biotech industry the white one as well but just in general to understand that this is probably at the moment the most needed industry not just because of the climate control but also because of health look at look at the coronavirus biotech was the reason why we are suddenly in a, are able at this moment in time at least
0: well it's changing sadly but to to get it under control at least a little bit now, it's amazing to hear. Also, uh, I learned with Johannes and Philip that on the infrastructure side, uh, a lot is going on. How do you see the situation for infrastructure here in Austria for life science entrepreneurs? So so that is really one big issue we have
2: here. So uh, uh, one of our first goals is with Lisa Vienna, with ABA, with all sorts of others, the AWS and all sorts of others working together and farming to get entrepreneurs out from universities and start businesses. We want to create the spirit that you have in Cambridge in the UK and Oxford, and in the US. And you know, there's a lot of money in in Austria. Let's just think of all the rich families. But also, mm. know, there's a there's tons of money available to make biotech success here as well. So we need to get the entrepreneurs away from their labs and into and into a, a company. And we start that perhaps with a simplified founding of a company. It's called the uh, the Austrian Limited was one idea, but it's just a simplified a company—that's one of the big hurdles we're facing at the moment. But secondly, we just haven't got enough lab space, and this, was, this is really something we have to work on. So, anyone who's building, anybody who, who is in who is in um, in, in the field of, of building properties and, and investing in that, they should think about lab space because that
0: is a is big business of the future, and we we haven't got enough, just not enough. Um, but in your opinion, is the bottleneck? Why 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 is that that way?
2: Well, people invest in, you know, in flats and, and shopping centers. Mm-hmm. But The longer the pandemic goes, I think they're beginning to realize that shopping centers aren't really the ideal thing to invest in.
0: <laughs> Sorry. But, <laughs> but instead, I think... Jeff you know, Bezos would agree to that.
2: <laughs> but it would be a good idea to to invest also. And no one has really realized that labs are needed. And, and perhaps this is the moment now to say, okay, uh, let's not just talk about, you know, shopping. Because this is going more and more online. Let's talk about the future. Let's talk about the entrepreneurs of the next generation. And and,
0: and this is science. Science is strong in Austria. And we need to promote this and get it invested. I completely agree to that. I mean, when I think back twenty years ago, we didn't have much companies. So I understood the the, uh, the point that there is nothing going on. But as you and Johannes and Philip from Lisa Vienna mentioned, we have ex- we have had exponential growth, and uh, probably it's continuing. So there are a lot of entrepreneurs, and probably also the probability of return is much better than investing in. Uh, in, in shopping centers for real estate investors. And maybe uh, maybe this podcast also helps to raise awareness. Uh, I think infrastructure is one important part. And in the podcast episode we did together, you mentioned uh, we need a culture of success here in Austria and in Europe. Can we emphasize that a little bit more? I think we can't talk too little about this important topic.
2: Oh, no, absolutely. I'm, I'm My background is British, although I'm at heart an Austrian. Well I am now. So <laughs> um unless it comes kind of, when it comes kind of down to football, perhaps not so much. But anyway, that's beside the point. Um anyway, so I I personally feel that you know there the spirit of entrepreneurism is there. And we're also in a situation right now that we need a rethink in our in the way we look at intra- entrepreneurism. And just to give you an example. If you, if, you, if you come out of school and you think, okay, what am I going to do now? Let's go to, I'll go to university. What am I going to do now? I'll get a good job. Okay, so we need, this, we need to think differently and say, okay, why don't I just found a company? And people are scared about failing. They're scared about failing because failure is, uh, there's a word for it, obviously, in German, which means it's negative. Failing is negative. We need to change the time and say, no, failing is a part of the learning curve. And if we install instill this attitude into the younger generation, those who want to found a company, and say, look, it's no problem. Just move on. The next step, let's do it. And that, that will also create a, uh, not only a great country, but a great culture for, for success.
0: That's true, Astrid. You were smiling. Uh, do you want to add something?
3: No, no absolutely. I mean, uh, I'm half British, actually. Yeah, um, and studied in Oxford. And I need to say, uh, it is. It's been ve- very different to be sort of immersed in the sort of entrepreneurial ecosystem over there where everyone just feels like oh what could be the next idea that I'm doing it's sort of like hundreds of student societies uh entrepreneurship at every corner basically and it's the, uh, the opposite if you don't have an uh like you sort of burning idea that you want to develop you're more likely to be a failure than anything else so it's it's very much the opposite from here and uh but I feel it's something that we really need to also uh, Again, start somewhere in kindergarten, in schools, you know, to really uh, teach, uh, like maybe not, uh, try, so, so really try to, um, nurture this curiosity that with what, you know, children are actually born with, you know, to naturally play around and think like, oh, how could I do this and that? To really keep that going and not stay too much on this sort of like, oh, forget your fantasy that will not get you anywhere, but, uh, really also bring this to schools. Also, I mean, it's also in Austria. If you look at um, the kind of um, career events that you have, like the best is doing a great job, you know, in helping people to get together with universities and finding, you know, ways and how they uh, how they could educate. But I have never seen actually a stand that it would stop, uh, speak about entrepreneurship and say like, okay, here's actually a very different career path. You could actually build your own company, develop your own ideas, or anything like that. So there's also something that we really need to develop more over here.
2: Yeah, and one thing to add on to that. I mean, uh, I don't know if any of you read the depressor this week and saw that English official uh, sorry, English English knowledge and proficiency in Europe or in the world. And guess where Austria is? I I didn't think about it at the time. I thought okay, somewhere in the middle of okay, I don't know. It's number 2 behind Holland. I was most surprised about that. Germany somewhere around 12, France is 27, uh, uh, uh and 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 you think you know austria wow and this is one of the reasons why this country is going to be really really successful we just need to believe in ourselves and make sure our kids get the right education to actually use this and the, and the, the first step is taken language proficiency especially the center center of central europe right and you need to be able to speak english here because of
0: all the cultures coming together here not just talking about vienna i completely agree i mean this was a huge debate uh around the podcast people often ask me uh, why English? Why not German? You are in Austria and my answer is always I mean if I want to address the world I need to learn and practice English constantly it's 1.5 billion people On the internet, in the world speak English and they're all on the internet these days. When I limit myself to German, I have a market of roughly 100, 120 million in the world. So any company that wants to go out on the global market needs at least English and uh, ideally also other languages. I completely agree with that, Peter. Peter, when we talk about the future, let's, uh, switch from 2021 to 2022, what's on the future agenda of Biotech Austria? What are the three most important parts that you want to change?
2: Oh, that's a a good question. I haven't thought about the answer yet. You're going to have to test my exponent. (laughs) So, okay, well, well, number one is to make the awareness of biotechnology uh, a, a big th- we're, we're making this a big thing, and I think number two is is to get together with all the excellent institutes and universities, but also the associations and clusters. And make sure we all work together to to create a, a, an environment for the next step. And number three, and perhaps this is also number one, is to make the Austrian government aware that innovation isn't getting big pharmaceutical companies to buy and uh, and make. Uh, enormous sites for manufacturing drugs but to get the think of the next generation and invest in the next generation and as i said a, a few minutes ago and this is one of our goals we're going to try and you know lobby and support the industry in that respect and make sure people understand uh, particularly politicians that if we don't do that people leave austria get their education here for free for free, not like mm-hmm. in the UK on the US, for free, and then they'll leave and go somewhere where they can make some money. They'll go to the US or the UK. They won't stay here. If we're lucky, they'll come back, like Christoph Huber, who left, who left Austria to found BioNTech uh, uh, in 2018, and he's in, he went to Tübingen because they offered him some money there, and the German system's a lot better than it is here, and uh, he, he lives in Austria again because he is Austrian. But I think there are other examples as well. We just need to make sure people come back or stay here. Mm. They can get their experience elsewhere. So just those three points, I think, are the the main awareness ones we're talking about
0: this year, the next year. I I agree with that. I mean, um, when I I look back to to 2006, um, there was practically no money, no investment money for biotech and for life science. After the initial seed stage and the usual way was leaving Austria going to Germany, the United Kingdom, and then uh, tapping into the U.S. market. And I think there is still a lot of room for improvement for policymakers uh, to make Austria more attractive for capital investments, especially in life science and in biotech. I still think we don't have enough capital in that area. How do you see that?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So now you're talking about points four, five, six. <laughs> <laughs> so, it's a long list. <laughs> yeah, it is a long list, to be honest. But uh, so within that, as you quite rightly say, we need to get people, because they are made aware of biotech, they begin to believe that it's a good idea to invest in biotech. So obviously getting investors from the US and other countries as well mm. to invest in Austria is great. But why don't we get the guys who invest in IT and in shopping centers to invest in biotech? There are billions in Austria, Austrian entrepreneurs, you know, the big families. I don't need to name them here. um, But the big families here, if we manage to set up a system that these families say, okay, I'm going to invest in Austrian biotech as well. I'm going to put some money in there. And we're not talking about billions. We're just talking about hundreds of millions, which isn't a lot for them. Because, you know, a, a dividend, half a dividend of the Austrian telecom is a is hundred million. Even that would help our industry. So this is something <clears> we're working on as well. Goal number four. Absolutely right. Investors in biotech.
0: And especially in the early stages, you can do really a lot with hundred million or two hundred million. And uh Five years ago, I heard the example from uh, the Ministry of Finance uh, that uh, foundations have a lot of uh, capital. And uh, wow. if they would be motivated and if they were possible to invest only 1%, you have this 100 to 200 million that com- becomes available very quickly, very easily. Um, and this can do a lot in the translational research uh, area, for example.
2: Yeah, yeah. And then we'll talk about number five, sorry, is... Uh... <laughs> Uh, if you go ahead, if you look at if you look at a development of a drug, I'm just talking about the the red biotech field, which is uh, development of drugs. This takes usually ten to fifteen years. Uh, believe me, BioNTech didn't get their vaccine because they were so brilliant and they just invented it in January 2020. No, they developed this for for cancer, right? And it had been in development for for ten years already. So they were ready to go, and they just switched the indication. So the clinical trials themselves. They cost tens of millions of euros. You know? And now let's look at apiron or Invios, as we're called in future. If we want to set up a clinical trial, we won't get any money from any Austrian government. We have to go out yeah. and get the investors because the FFG, there's no criticism. They're great. The FFG only has funding for startups and, and preclinical investments. Mm-hmm. Once you get into clinical trials, which you need to do to prove that the drug works, you need the money and you don't get it here. So what you do, you go abroad. Is that the right idea?
0: Yeah, it was a pity that the GIFA program uh, was stopped a couple of years ago. I mean, this was yeah. targeted from the FFG on mm-hmm. clinical trials. And for some reason, it didn't move forward. Um, since we were talking about 0.5 already, I can't make up the 0.6. What is the 0.6 on your list? <laughs> Have fun. Have fun. This is always a great thing. Peter, this is also the right spirit to move into the next year. I think uh, have fun, do what you love, be passionate. This were, I remember your words from our podcast episodes. And this is sound advice. Peter, I wish you and your teams all the best for the future and a Merry Christmas.
2: Thank you very much. And
0: everybody here,
2: thank you very much for these absolutely interesting insights. Uh, Matthias, thank you for sharing these, these articles. Really appreciate it. Guys, this is a great country. Let's make this successful. Thank you
0: very much. Let's do so. Have a great time. Astrid, Matthias, what topic do you want to talk about
3: next? I feel there have been so many topics that we have already spoken to about today and sort of like fascinating, you know, how we always go between, you know, sectors and investment. And but I think the overarching theme today was really sort of education. Again, you know, health literacy, financial literacy, then I don't know, like online ready literacy or something like that and really wonder, you know, how we can actually sort of take this as a sort of spark to really foster change here.
4: That's One a-
5: aspect that, that I like a lot, uh, Christian, from, from your description is um, this idea of um, having a... And an open mindset, or like, I think, I believe you call it the, beginner's mind, which is, uh, I think important also to let, uh, new things into your, into your system and to be able to, to learn and to understand that, uh, that, um, that there's enough to learn and there's a lot of things to improve to. So I guess this, this is what, what, um, what I find very interesting that what you were, um, publishing Christian, because also I see like from the debate that you have going on with the, with the people you invited, it's like interesting because I think a lot of people, Understand and can learn from that and learn from experience mm-hmm. and can, can improve. So I guess this was also the, the brief topic we tackled just now. Um, um, also this, this understanding that there is, um, or like getting rid of this anxiety of failure, which is, um, mm-hmm. in a way also stifling the innovation, uh, possibly, um, through a cultural, um, kind of, um, um, uh, 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 of a cultural necessity in Austria. So I guess this is, um, looking at, um, different uh, um, studies in this regard, very different in the American startup culture where um, it's clear that you can fail and it's like not, not such a disaster if you do. So um, I guess mm-hmm. this also shows a bit of um, business resilience in this regard, which um, Austrian startups and, and, and entrepreneurs uh, would need. And I guess this also boils down then in the end, to, to available capital, to, to, to investment opportunities and so on. Because in my uh, opinion, still we see also a lot of um, hesitant, uh or like not so um, like capital is not that that readily available um, in, in Vienna yet, sadly. Even compared to Berlin or like to to other parts of uh, cities or to other startup of context, we see um, uh, this, that this risk is really also um, clear to the investors, and so this, this traditional idea of okay, I'm investing in a high risk situation. Um I guess we could need uh, much more of those uh, people that understand that um, um it can be fun to, to deploy risk capital. So I hope also that, that that this is also driving um a bit of um uh, yeah, investment thoughts um in the future because especially in research I see a lot um of um and in IT, <coughs> this is at least at the uh the that I'm observing closely. The, um, there's a huge um, gap in what people understand as research. So usually in, in um, very um, business-centric um, uh, context, research is usually um, seen as um, solving some instant need. And I guess this is like not um, how we should see research. I see research much more as a kind of a, um, a way of how to de-risk the future and how to actually prepare also in terms of this kind of different literacy that is needed these days. So if it, uh, if it's like, um, um, making sure that the, the, the team gets stronger or you're prepared for a for, for very uncertain market, such as the cryptocurrency market or, you know, technological risk as, uh, should the web 2 ever break down or uh, all these type of things. So, so I guess a proper research strategy and a proper, um, understanding of, um, of, 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 of how to build up this that literacy would, would help us. And this is, of course, starting with, um, Sentences and approaches like that to to have this this open mindset and beginner mindset in marketing.
3: Yeah, I think That's... totally. I mean, also the the future is sort of interdisciplinary in that respect because there is not just one sort of uh, field that can live on its own. I think the IST Austria and norberg is doing that actually quite successfully, where it really brings that together researchers from several fields, and none of them can really like to be pinpointed to one specific area, so to say, because they say like, no, they identify actually with computer sciences and with biology and whatever. And I think that's also the way to go. And this is something that we also need to push in our minds more to think less about, you know, a particular sector, but really think about more the transferable skills that we can actually use in many different sectors and how this could be also applied. Or for example, how we could also use I mean, gladly, you know, also in a biotech, there is more and more data science approaches that really help to sort of de-risk certain developments. And I'm looking forward to, you know, these data models being also uh stronger in a way that we also can de-risk clinical studies earlier so that we don't have this high failure rate, which I think is probably one of the reasons why maybe um, some uh, th- there is some hesitation to put even mo- more money into this field. But I don't know, up for a suggestion. But um, yeah.
0: So uh, as you mentioned, Matthias, uh, beginner's mind, this is, uh, I think it's a term from Zen Buddhism that I learned uh, my martial arts career and uh it's basically staying open-minded and this is uh, the spirit i want to see in the podcast that we talk with a lot of successful entrepreneurs and decipher what makes them successful and make these know-how accessible to anybody and uh, point at the success factors, like uh, how did some entrepreneurs become successful? What were the steps that they were doing? And one important part is, as you mentioned, Mephias, um, I mean, today we have a lot of big problems and these are not small problems anymore. And the right way to work on solution for these problems, like the pandemic SARS-CoV-2, is uh, to train scientists to come up with solutions and this is also where beginner's mind comes from and martial arts. Um, in martial arts, we always said, I mean, um, when you wait until you're attacked physically somewhere in the street, it's too late. Uh, if you want to self protect and you want to learn self defense, you have to train before something like that happens. And I see it similarly, uh, in tackling the big problems. Uh, like also what Peter said with BioNTech, I mean, BioNTech basically trained their team for more than 10 years to learn and understand what their technology can do and how they can use it. And after this training period, it's quite easy then to switch to a different indication or also have a look when more problems uh, evolve in the world. Can we use our technology for that? But I think the crucial part is we need to start training early. And sometimes when I look at the uh, conversations I have here in Austria or in Europe, I still get a little bit the feeling that it's more uh, reactive. So when something happens, then we can do something, but very often it's too late. So we need to start earlier and hopefully with the podcast, we can contribute a little bit, uh, to these, uh, to solving these problems or these challenges and uh, help people understand how success looks like also in life science, also in the digital space, uh, what the uh, success factors are and how people can model that.
5: How do we model those?
0: We will, we will see. We will see. I think we are getting there. I mean, um, when I compare the spirit in the United States, it, it seems to me always it's quite normal to start businesses. And uh, don't worry too much. Move forward. Work on the solution uh, 1% at a time. And I uh, think in Europe a little bit, it's getting better. It's getting better. It's improving. Astrid, how did you see the spirit in Oxford? I mean you spent uh, some years there. Uh well how is the UK Ten. spirit? <laughs> 10, Ten <years>. okay. <laughs>
3: <laughs> No, uh um, yeah, it, it's it's just very different, I don't know and um but I and, I tried to figure out several times why it is and maybe it is also that you have just um, this very nice college system where you're actually thrown together with people from very different fields and sectors so uh, you're not just limited to one study sector again in Austria it is if you study I don't know biology then you go to your biology student organization okay sometimes there are some events but There is no really close interaction with uh, sort of people from other uh, sectors as well. And so just by being thrown into this, this college system of having so many other really clever people around you from different fields, you get challenged also on a very different level because they ask questions that you might never have thought of of your own kind of field because you're already sort of like quite blindsided about it. And I think that helps also to sort of uh, develop yourself and challenge your own views of the world. Because I need to say, honestly, when I was in Austria still, I was always thinking like, okay, I'll do my uh, master's and then I'll, you know, have a job and it's fine. And sort of this experience in Oxford really turned me completely around into a person who found out that I'm actually much more an entrepreneurial person. I'm much happier in this space, but it really took sort of uh the ecosystem there and being exposed to many different ideas and opportunities to really sort of break up this um sort of I don't know cage I was in really from having grown up in 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 in, in uh yeah this system right basically.
0: I think it was f- funny when I compared the attitudes that uh, I got exposed to in the 90s. It basically was uh, finished school. Um, if you want, you can study something at the university, but you don't need to. It's mostly not necessary. Um, And then after school or after graduating from university, find a job in a big corporation. And then two reasons I remember for founding a company. One was uh, before you retire. So eventually after 40 years of your career, when you retire from uh, your last job then you can start a little consultancy make some money for retirement or those people who were not able to find a proper job in a corporation. I think this is, uh, in my mind, the attitude of the 90s. And uh, when I look now at the world, I mean, what happened since 2008, 9 here in Austria after the big crisis at the startup scene that were mostly built, uh, Speedinvest, for example, great success, Austrian startup, we have uh, later Marcus Raunit here. When I look at the funds that evolved uh your fund, Astrid, um, also uh, ISD Austria uh, that was started, I think, also 2006 ago. Then uh, ISD Cube, their fund. Then we have many funds in the digital space and I always envied a little bit the dynamic that I saw in the digital space and missed it in the life science industry. Uh, but I think this is changing now. This is changing now uh, since the start of the pandemic. And also, as uh, Johannes Sachs, Philipp Heinzel, Peter Leven and Davis said, they see a very positive dynamic in the future. And I'm curious to hear uh, also on that topic our next speaker, which is a business angel here in Austria. It's Albert Missbichler. I pull it into the panelists. And welcome to the show albert let's give us uh, your insights into entrepreneurship albert hello good to hear you how are you doing
1: thanks fine okay it's, really good.
0: Sure. it's good to hear and see you
1: <laughs> yes albert, thank you. you very much for the invitation
0: You are very welcome. Albert, we were talking about entrepreneurship in Austria. I think you are a long-term entrepreneur and business angel here. Give us your perspective on entrepreneurship.
1: Stay with us. We'll be right back.
0: You love listening to podcasts, but have you ever thought about starting your own podcast? Maybe you want to build a brand, grow your business, or are looking for an excuse to talk about your favorite hobby. Whatever your reason for making a podcast, Buzzsprout is the place to start. Since 2009, Buzzsprout has helped over 300,000 people launch their own podcasts. Buzzsprout walks you step-by-step through the whole process and will give you powerful tools to start, grow, and monetize your podcast. Ready to get started? Click the link in the show notes to get our free step-by-step guide to starting your podcast today.
1: Well, it's a really interesting business, and what I'm in since about six years and um, I changed a little bit my my point of view because at the beginning I had some some good suggestions for investments, for investments um, with rather big tickets, which obviously turned out to be not the best way to take at the beginning big tic- tickets because if the development does not succeed like a, like the business plan said. You have got a problem with liquidity. So I changed to small tickets now, and I'm just now busy with three or four different very young startups involving as well young as also already a um, little bit older people, which have the big the big advantage that they have already some experience. And what I what I saw that if you have a very young person spin-off from the university. Very engaged, perfect, but they need some sort of backup. With all these uh, things you have you have done during setting up a, a company, all these uh, do's and don'ts, which you don't find in any book, you don't learn at the university. You come from scientific part, which is perfect. You have a perfect, say, process development. You have the idea of a perfect product. But there is another important point, which often is, is neglected. There's the point of market. So mm-hmm. is there my market? How can I get to that market? We had this with uh, the, the, the content. The important point is, sorry. Um, that the, the approach to the market and the the feeling of w- w- how in, in which time you can access the market often is missing with young people, and this is where I'm now busy in, in, in trying to involve myself with my experience and with some advices to get there. On the other hand, the small company has the big advantage that it can be flexible. As a, an example, I invested in in Fionostics, which was founded six years ago, and was focused on, on uh, rather um, small molecules, development of, of detection, uh, or diagnostic of small molecules in the R&D section. And two years ago, everything which was not related somehow to corona, R&D, it simply was turned off. So you have a, you have a business model with Companies with laboratories, with, with partners all over the world, and within two weeks they all disappear. Simply they disappear because nobody got money for research. Expect you are in, 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 in something correlated to Corona, and so we had the chance. and We took the chance to switch over, and within half a year we developed a test on our on our platform, and we are now going to market this test. And again, big surprise, two, two seniors in this company having about 30 years' experience in clinical diagnostic. We had we know all the people. We know the market. And we said, OK, the test is ready. It's approved. every it lot things are done. It shouldn't be any problem to get this test into the market. It is a problem. So we just face three months of being active getting results yes very interesting oh yes could you give me a sample would you buy it mm-hmm. just not now and this is the thing that we have to just to face and, and, and keep in mind you, you need a lot of a long uh, long odom to, to keep this this distance or to to stay within this distance without getting bankrupt in the, in the meantime
0: yeah that's that's true. I mean one thing is producing a working prototype, yes. and the next thing is then to either um sell the story to investors for the next step to make uh the working prototype fitting any kind of market or if the prototype already addresses a need then uh to find the customers and this is this is tough work this is tough work needs proper planning and yes.
1: I think this is often, this is very much underestimated that this is, maybe it is at least 50% of the whole whole story has to be get the product on the market.
0: Success. I mean, I completely agree. My opinion is also backward thinking. So start from the customer need and uh, then think about what problem you solve. And very often when I talk with, uh, companies that are with people that are early to entrepreneurship um i get the impression that uh, market comes last in the thinking and also financing comes last so when they run out of money then they start thinking about okay is there a customer or is there an investor and very often it comes too late so my recommendation always is uh the minute you start putting together a team you need this business skill and financing skill on the team as a core process that uh develops the other operations in the company, how do you see that as a business angel?
1: Yes, this is, this is a very important thing. Uh, you, this is, and also I see this as a, the main uh, activity of the business angel, besides investing some money, just dragging along the people to the lead. Anyone who will pay is not the investor, is not the bank, is not any, any fund, it's a customer. Mm -hmm. that will pay the whole company. And if the company should be a success story, you need a lot of customers or a big customer that really pays for the product. And therefore, it's very important to get the need. Which problem can we solve for the customer? Do we have to to make the awareness in the customer with his problem, or is the problem already there? Most of the things you have to make the awareness to the customer you got a problem, you simply don't know, but I have the solution.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: As, as soon as the, one of the customers believes the story, you're on the good side. If we can't get the customer to believe the story that they have a problem that you can solve with your product, whatever it is, is, they never will buy it. And I think this is, in many cases, is this is the problem for many startups that they have a very good idea, a perfect product, but the market is simply too small or they can't address it properly. Mm-hmm. So they even if they get a lot of money, it takes them not only two years, maybe five years, but the end, in the end they have to fail because the market is simply not there. And if you if you can raise some money from whomever and you have some time, you have to pay this money back. That's true. Therefore, it doesn't make sense to raise fifteen million of whatever money for a market which is about ten millions in total. You won't get into the market there,
0: and you and can't. It's
1: interesting. It's very interesting to see business plans prepared for investors, prepared for uh, funding companies or fund FFG or whatever. Where you have this. Total market, and you get less than ten percent from Austria and Vienna with five people. It simply doesn't work. Mm. When I remember, when I started my my, my nearly twenty years ago, we had a very good business plan. Histamine intolerance. This involves about five percent of the world, and you can calculate. Every person takes one pill per day, which costs in euro. Makes whoops, turn around with whoops whoops. It this doesn't work. I remember, just an example, you have to check the market, whether you can have the idea this is from the Austrian market, whether can transfer this to international market or even to Germany. So what I learned very quickly, if you come from Austria, Germany ends around Frankfurt. Everything north about, they don't need German or Austrian inventions or Austrian people. You need a person, a confident person there who can make the marketing f- there for you. Because you must not go from Vienna to, f- to say, Hamburg. Mm-hmm. They, sim- they simply don't talk to you.
0: I think there is one important point that you emphasized or that we should that we should emphasize more uh, because I miss it very often. In companies. Um, Jeff Bezos, in his book uh, Invent and Wonder, wrote uh, as a headline to one article uh, What's good for the customer is good for the shareholders. So, the only goal a company has is to serve uh, the needs of a specific type of customer. So, customers that have a problem uh, which the company addresses with a product or a service that solves. The problem, and a company doesn't serve public funds or doesn't serve investors. They serve the customer. And sometimes, when I look now on the market, uh, sometimes it looks like to me we are too much on the investment side. So that uh, companies or entrepreneurs think in terms of exits and selling the companies. And Christoph langer for example, in one podcast said, a company is not sold by the entrepreneurs or by the founders, it's purchased by a company. So it's a switch in, in the mindset. How do you see this, this this mindset that you perceive on the European market? What are we dealing with currently?
1: Stay with us. We'll be right back.
0: Money
2: is all around us and we think about it more than almost every other aspect of our lives. But how can we make more of it? And what's our drive for building wealth beyond just the numbers in our bank account?
1: Yes, it is a very interesting problem you are addressing now. Um, that the mindset of, of many many founders is is really we sell the company, or we build something. We have to build something up. We file lots of patents, which are more or less expensive, which are more or yes, useful. In the idea, I can sell this whole package to. Another company, to an investor, whatever. Not keeping in mind that this investor doesn't, pay the comp, doesn't buy the company, but a product which should work in the market, or at least a very good idea which the investor or the strategic investor can use in his in his in his setting. And also the next part is looking for a strategic investor, not for a VC. In most in most cases. You have not the experience, you don't have the resources to address the market properly when you start a company with say five or six persons. This simply is impossible. So you need some connection network, which goes with for you, which goes together with you to address the markets in different uh, fields of the market, in different uh, companies or in different uh, countries. You can't do this by yourself. And this is also very important to bring this into the mind of the, of the startups that they need partners and they need reliable partners. And of course, most of these partners want some money for their activity. And it is always important to divert the money into product development, whatever this is in total, and market development. This must go in, this must go in parallel. If you forget about the market development, you've got a product with no market for that, and then you run really into problems. And also, to have the feedback at the market, as soon as you have some sort of working type of prototype, you have to check it with the market. Is this really this what my customer needs? Or is this what our development process developed because it was the most easiest way to get somewhere in this direction we want to go? It's good take it. the need of the customers changes.
4: Mm.
1: So it's we good. had development, for example, antibodies to SARS-CoV-19, very important. Politicians said three months ago, this is no valid system for getting somewhere. So we can forget about that within a few days. So you have to do this market surveillance this permanent market surveillance and see where does the market change? Are there different requirements for the market? Are there different requirements for regulatory parts? Another very important thing, regulatory can kill a project rather quickly if you overlook some details
0: this is uh important what you say uh, i mean we were talking about content marketing and uh, today on TikTok, for example i saw A short clip, which was quite interesting. And the question was, how can I make my business successful? Should I uh, draw up a nice balance sheet or write extensive business plans or something like that? That, And the answer was no. The first thing you need to do is finding your customers that pay you, even when you just have a prototype. This is the most important step. Unless you don't have at least one customer that buys into your solution, you always have to question the market. Um, Albert, in that spirit, when we look at 2022, What is your outlook to 2022 in terms of entrepreneurship?
1: Well, I hope that we will have more possibilities to get into personal contacts again. Because just what you just said, you can't sell a product online without having personal contact to your customer. You have, and you don't get the... Proper or necessary feedback from your customer, from poten- your from your potential customer, without sitting with him in a room and having him in front of you talking with him. You can't do this online. You can work out protocols if you know the, each other. It is, to my experience now, it is nearly impossible to get a honest feeling of that what your customer or your potential customer really needs. He won't often. He won't tell you this in written words, but you can see in your reaction. Okay, yes, this is the feeling, or there might be a problem. You can talk with it. So I think it's very important to find personal contacts again with universities, with young uh, research groups, also to find out if there are any useful ideas that can be transferred into market. So this is what I'm looking for really, and. Hopefully, we can at least in spring start again, going out, talking to people, collecting ideas, bringing ideas together to make this virtual network also working in a real network of connecting people on a table, in a whatever.
0: I'm... I'm, I'm, all right, I'm curious now to hear Astrid's opinion on that. Uh I mean my my opinion <laughs> is my opinion is also that we need this personal contact um to understand what customers need. It's uh, for me it's also different uh sitting face to face in real life in front of a person and getting the full experience of communication compared mm-hmm. to the digital version. I mean, digital has become much better in the last two years, uh, but still I believe we need the real world. When I talk to younger people they often say, no, we don't need it. Uh, Astrid, how is it in the digital space? How important is the direct contact to customers in your world?
3: Uh, Not really much. I mean, in general, you know, I agree that we all need, you know, uh, face to face contact, you know, and sort of uh, value our uh, relationships there, you know, with friends and uh, occasional business partners. But I think most people have seen that also in the digital space, you can become more efficient and you think more about, you know, do you really need to travel to this meeting? Or can I actually do it online? Is it really necessary for a one-hour meeting to actually block out three hours, you know, uh, just to get an initial assessment? I think we have been actually quite successful in speaking to teams fully online. This has also not been the case in uh, the VC space before. Before, you would always ha- also get the whole team on site and sort of meet everyone or also go there to the office and stuff. I think there are now ways that you can also... Um, i mean it takes some training i will i will say that Yeah, it takes some training and also for your gut feeling to develop and how you can actually measure and interpret digital interactions um, it's much much harder if you don't have a video like we have now for example on Zoom. you know that that already gives you much more information but i think you can do most things actually online i think you can also sell um, to your customers online and this is also why we have now also such a push with this whole metaverse system. You know, where we will see that um, a lot of things will actually move into the digital space that don't necessarily need to be uh, in a person to person contact.
1: Stay with us. We'll be right back. The coaching conversation 2024. This podcast is 100% dedicated And maybe this, about, this was a very important thing you said. Uh, you need training on the online um, communication. And mm-hmm. I also think it's a question of age. We have been educated as an older, older person. We have been educated and we have lived our active lives in direct communication. If you grow up as a, a digital native, it's, it's simple, I think it's very much easier for them to get into this hard sort of communication type. Of course, we
3: have to... I'm not sure. So I I tell you one thing, you know, when I had my first job out of, well, while I was actually still writing up my PhD thesis, I already took a full-time job at the Science and Technology Facilities Council Council in the UK. I had actually my manager, who was already in his 50s, up in the north of England. And I was actually sitting down in South. uh, And I had actually no team around me. And what we were doing was also communicating always just digitally. And it was really weird for me because it was the first time that I actually hadn't met someone in person uh, or had didn't have contact with my manager in person. But sort of after a year or so, you get used to this. And so like, OK, no, yes, you can actually talk like you would in any kind of way. So I think it really comes. To, it's less an age issue than really something like training being open to it quite regularly. I mean, I have now uh, basically Zoom calls every day, starting from 8.30 to, I don't know, some time in the evening. And so for me, it's become quite, um, well, not normal, but uh, I got very much used to it.
0: Yeah, I I agree to that, what you both say. I think it depends, uh, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, I mean... um. Sasha Berger pointed it out with the importance of building trust and where he said, uh, in his opinion, it's important to meet at least once in real life. And I would agree to that. But building on that, what Stephanie mm-hmm. said, uh, the content marketing, I believe when a company and especially the founders do their content marketing online really well, uh, putting constantly content out there that describes who they are, what they are doing, uh, and seeing a track record after five years okay. of a consistent content marketing strategy can help to build the trust. But companies mm-hmm. that don't do that online, where you basically, I mean, still when I've, when I've, when startups approach me, when I look the people up, they are not existing on LinkedIn sometimes. They don't have a Twitter profile, a Facebook profile. Or maximum a company website that says we are coming soon. So it stays a black box. And when I compare it to, for example, Gary Vaynerchuk, he's one of those who says, uh, a company has to put out 64 pieces of content every day, and not only the company, but also the executives, founders, and owners. And his opinion is when you do that really constantly, you don't need the real world anymore because everything is laid out and building trust comes naturally. How do you see that, Albert? Is that uh, something that you could also live with, that you see a track record of content of a company to replace the personal contact?
1: Um, I think it's very helpful and this is very important. As you pointed out some, sometimes today, there's a new name on the, on, the, on the screen. You look it up. In Google, you look it up, but in LinkedIn, the same thing that's what I also do. Uh, The problem is when you found a company, you don't have a track record because you're new. So Mm. you may have a track record as a person, but if you are a spin off from a university, so you may have some papers which are limited to those people who can read these papers scientifically. Anything else is simply not there. And therefore, it is. Especially at the beginning, I think it's important to have this personal contact. As soon as you are somehow uh, present already, you have to build up this. You have to f- make these feeds. This is okay, and you can continue your uh, connections with every people with, with customers already. If you if you're here, as soon as you are present, and yeah, as soon as you have settled up your homepage or whatever you put in there. This will work, I'm sure. But at the very beginning, it is. I think it's necessary to meet people in person and to discuss. Also, this, this is uh, to make this brain brainstorming sessions. Brainstorming sessions online, um, they work. I've done some of them, but they work much better if you are meeting in person with five or six people. This is my experience. I mean, this is very subjective, this, this meaning. Maybe it, it, it can work much better and I'm simply not, not used to that. And I'm not really wanting to get used to that, really.
0: Yeah, I think uh, there's a question also from uh, a comment from Kimberly coming in uh, that she finds a very interesting discussion. And she would be interested in knowing it, uh, if you found ways of connecting with new people and ideas online less effectively as we do at coffee breaks at in-person events. I mean, this is something that I experienced in my behavior with this new normal that we have now. Before, I mean, before 2020, my normal behavior was um, that when somebody wrote me an email, I wanted to meet for lunch or for coffee or somewhere. Um, But as Astrid said, I mean, it takes uh, three hours going for lunch in Vienna. mean, one or two hours lunch, and then you have to commute between that. And since Zoom is working so well now, even when I'm in the same city with the person who invites me, now my first reaction is, okay, let's have a 30-minute Zoom call <laughs> to see if we really can do something instead of let's meet for lunch. Uh Astrid and Albert, uh, how do you see it in your life and Matthias?
3: Well, I mean, yes. I, so, no. just, just do it. I, good. <clears throat> no, I mean, for us, it worked quite well. Actually, over LinkedIn, for example, as you said, you know, you can reach out to people uh, via their profiles or even sort of on Twitter, then set up sort of an initial call of thirty minutes, you know, to keep it short, and then. I see like, okay, is there any, you know, angle that you could work on and then sort of keep the interaction going from there? So through several either messaging apps or also email. I mean, email seems to also be dying down these days. I have the feeling, but it's still there. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, just it, it is certainly. I don't say uh, more intense because you have to uh, sort of check in at least once a month or so, like any any updates or, you know, keep up with regular calls. But that has actually worked quite well for us.
1: Well, I agree. You can continue or you can discuss a lot of things with people you are intending to meet. You make an, uh, an appointment with one person or with another person. You can go to lunch or you can set up a Zoom meeting. This is fine. But if you take the coffee break after some conference or whatever, you meet people you would not address via Zoom meeting because they're simply there because they're taking their coffee one meter beside you. And you listen, what they are talking about, and all this information simply you meet you are missing. Because you don't address these people because you don't even know them. But you get to, get to know them, and you oh, interesting, what are you doing? Maybe we can connect, or maybe you're a f- sympathetic person, or maybe you are, have an interesting project. But I won't work with you because I don't like you. All these things are very different to pick up in 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 some meetings.
0: Yeah, that's absolutely true. I think. Um at conferences, this uh, element of chance or luck, or however you call it, pumping into people that otherwise that I would have never met is uh, an important factor in business. So a lot of uh, contacts come out, and they also can't replicate it here. So when I have an audience, uh, I don't even know if Zoom still restricts people from communicating with each other. But uh, when I see 60, 70 people in the audience, uh, I hardly believe that there is any communication dynamic behind the scene like we see on a conference.
1: Exactly. And to be honest, in conference, one part is the presentation or whatever, but the most important part is the discussion afterwards with the people being around there to connect with people you simply didn't know before. And this, I think this cannot be replaced by, by online meetings. Yeah, but I think as soon as you have a project, as soon as you have some sort of agenda, it's fine to go online. You do not need to travel through wherever to go. But at the very beginning to get into contacts, it can be replaced, for my opinion.
0: I agree to that. I think we need a balance between online and offline worlds, but I also think that the online world will be part of business uh, as it is right now and will become more important but we still need some, at least some big conferences uh, where people can meet and uh, also have this initial accidental contacts to move forward that are very important. Yeah. Albert, thank you very much for joining the session. It's always good to see you and hopefully we can meet up for a real-life lunch or dinner pretty soon.
1: <laughs> Hope so, yes. I wish everybody good holidays and very good Switch in the next year and hopefully much health.
0: Same to you, Albert. Same to you. Have a good 2022. Bye bye. Thank you. Bye. Thanks for listening. Please, please share the podcast and make sure you've subscribed. Have a great day.